Amen. Are you ready for the word today, church? Amen. It's so good. So good to be with you in God's house. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up or turn it on and go to the Gospel of John chapter 17 and then find your place in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to spend most of our time in those two places today, but uh, let me just forewarn you, as always, I've got a lot of scripture today. In fact, I was looking at my, uh, at my notes this morning at the breakfast table, and I thought, my goodness, I got like 10 scriptures in the first page here. Uh, and I just, if you don't know, you're going to find out real fast in this church. We're a word-centered church. We're going we're to get into the word today. So uh, I, I want you to just uh, write some of these references down if you're a note taker. Don't try to keep up with all of them. But I, I want to I want to get right into this second message in, in a little series we're calling Living on Mission. 1965 was the year the Rolling Stones put words to the frustration of millions when they released the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, some of you, you ain't been saved too long, you know. (laughs) How many of you know that that, that's the struggle a lot of people are feeling in this life? I can't get any satisfaction. What if I told you this morning you can? What if I told you this morning that, that, that I can communicate to you the key to achieving the greatest dream for your life? Now, we're going to get to the scripture quick because I assure you this isn't a Tony Robbins conference. <laughs> the first thing you got to know if you're going to fulfill the greatest dream for your life is this. It's not your dream. It's not your dream. The greatest dream for your life is not your dream. Can I tell you that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? Maybe you came this morning and you just needed to know this one thing. You are not an accident. Maybe you've been told that your whole life. You were an accident. You're not an accident. The Bible says before the foundation of the earth was even laid, God said, I foreknew you. Before you were knit together in your mother's womb, I knew you, God says. You say, well, you don't know my story. You don't know my history. Listen, I've met lots of unplanned parents, but I've never met an unplanned child. God knew you. God had a purpose for your life. I love his words uh, to the people of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, especially in a time like today where we see everything that's happening in the Middle East. God said to his people in another time of great conflict, in a time of exile, in a time where no doubt they were uncertain about their future, God said to them, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I have plans to give you a hope and a future. If you're here this morning, you go, I don't, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what my plans are. I'm trying to figure out my plans. I thought maybe you, I could come to church this morning. You could tell me what my plans are. I can't tell you your plans, but I can tell you God has plans and he knows his plans and his plans are for your good. He said, I created you with a purpose. I love what Proverbs 16, 9 says in the CEV translation. It says, we make our own plans, but the Lord decides where we will go. (laughs) Isn't that true? You're like, boy, I thought thought it was gonna be like this. But ultimately, the Lord decides where we will go. In Ephesians 2 and 20, or 2 and 10, Paul said, we are God's handiwork, We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, you were created on purpose for a purpose. 
He had the works designed in advance when he made you. Colossians 1.16 speaks about Jesus and it says, For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible things, invisible things, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I want you to know this morning, there's nothing more satisfying than knowing exactly what you're supposed to do and exactly who you're supposed to do it with. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he said, the thief, speaking about the devil, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. Isn't that what we want? Like a full Life. I mean, you might define it differently. You might call it the American dream. You, you might call it, you know, a, a, a little, a little two-story house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids and the dog in the yard. Like, I don't know how you define it, whether it's corporate success, or, but we all want a full life. And Jesus said, the enemy has an agenda, and so do I. And I came that your life may be full. Last week, I shared a picture in the first message of this series of, of what it looked like in the Garden of Eden. At the beginning of your Bible, we see a picture of God walking in the cool of the day with man. And then we went all the way to the end of the book in Revelation 22, and you see the Garden of Eden. We see that, that, that perfect utopia re redeemed and rebuilt, and we see God there again with Mankind, the Bible says the Lord will be with his people and we will rule and reign with him forever and ever. Can I just tell you, I don't, I don't know what your depiction of heaven is. I don't know what book you read or what, what, what cheesy Lifetime movie you watched. or I, I, I don't know what you think about when you go to heaven. But can I tell you what makes heaven heavenly more than anything else? It's the fact that God is there. That he is with his people. You'll be in his Presence. I, I love what Jonathan Edwards, the, the great revivalist of the 1700s, said. He said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness in which our souls can be satisfied. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness in which our souls can be satisfied. David said it this way in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. He said, you make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. It's in his presence. There is fullness of joy. And it says, and at your right hand, eternal pleasures forevermore. If you wanna, you wanna know what it is to actually be satisfied in this life, you need to understand that first and foremost, it's only discovered in the presence of Jesus. So you, you, made, a, you made a good choice. You came to church this morning. You're halfway there. You got in the presence of God. I wanna tell you three keys to being satisfied in life today. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. We're gonna go to, to John chapter 17, and, and I want you to see these three keys together. But as we turn to John 17, let me just, let me just say what we're looking at here. This is by some called the high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer. If I were to ask uh, anyone here today, you know, what's, what's the Lord's prayer? Odds are you would, you would begin to tell me, uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the Lord's prayer. And can I just say to you today, that's a great prayer, and, and I'm fine with calling that the Lord's prayer. But the reason we call that the Lord's prayer is because somebody who was, you know, uh, printing an edition of the Bible thought it would be helpful to put a heading above that point, and they called it the Lord's Prayer. So now we all call it the Lord's Prayer. But that's not actually the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And he said, when you pray, you ought to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But if you want to know what I think the Lord's Prayer is, it's John 17. Because this is the Lord Jesus actually praying for his disciples. And we get, we get to hear his prayer in these words. And, and I want you to know the theme of his prayer was mission. It's all about the mission. Look at the, the first couple verses. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. The hour, it's here. I mean, we're down to the last moment. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, why? That he might give eternal life to those you have given him. That's the hour he's talking about. Jesus is about to go to the cross. I mean, this, this prayer is being prayed at the supper table the Last Supper table. Jesus knows in just a few moments, he's gonna go to the garden, he's gonna pray again. He's gonna be arrested, he's gonna be tried, he's gonna be crucified, and he's gonna die on this Passover weekend. He knows what's about to happen. This is the hour that has come. Look at verse four. He said, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So in the final moments, Jesus prays a prayer and he wants the disciples to hear this. Later, he'll go into the garden. The Bible will say Jesus uh, takes the disciples to a place in the garden and then he goes a stone's throw farther and he prays and he cries out to God. That was a personal and a private moment. This one, he wants them to get it. He wants them to hear what he's saying. He wants them to understand what it's all about. And as Jesus begins to pray about the mission, if you're a note taker, the first key is this, surrender. Surrender. That's what Jesus models for us right here in this moment. He demonstrates complete and total surrender to the plan of God. I love Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews 11, if you've read it, you might know it's often called the faith hall of fame. I mean, it's the who's who of the Old Testament. And you just hear about all these great men and women of God that, that surrendered everything to the plan and purpose of God for their life. But then you get into chapter 12, and it basically says, in light of their example, run your race. Like, in light of all that they've done, run your race. But in running your race, don't look at them. Don't fix your eyes on the men and women of the Old Testament. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me read it to you. It's Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Have you found it's easy for sin to entangle your life? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Not a shocker. Man, it's so easy. And he says, you got to throw that off and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. How do we do it? Fixing our eyes 
on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. In other words, he's the only one that got it just right. I'm trying, but he perfected it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice that, he, for the joy that was set before him. Let's just state the obvious. Nobody has had a tougher assignment on the earth than Jesus. I mean, come live a perfect life, never sin, never think a bad thought. I mean, in, in word, in deed, be perfect and then take the burden of the sin of the world on your shoulders and carry it up Golgotha's hill and die and then rise again three days later nobody had a greater assignment than Jesus and yet this verse we just read says that Jesus faced the cross with joy how do we get there I mean, come on. He faced it with joy. Can I just say that the, the joy that Jesus experienced in light of the, the, the horror of the cross was the joy of knowing that he was completing the mission. He was singularly focused on what he was called to do. And let me just say to you, friend, you're never gonna have lasting joy if you're not living on a mission. You're never gonna find joy. I mean, you're gonna find some things to bring you happiness, you can go buy some new toys. You can go have some, some thrills and new experiences. You can maybe find a, a relationship that gives you temporary happiness, but you're never gonna have a joy that actually lasts. I'm talking about something that sustains in the face of the shame of the cross. How in the world do you get that kind of joy? Jesus said it in this prayer, verse 13. Jesus said, I'm coming to you now. He's talking to the Father. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world. What things? He was talking about the mission. He's sitting at the table with his disciples. They've just shared the bread and the wine, and, and he's told them about this new covenant, and he's about to go to the cross, and, and he's talking about the mission, and he says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to, to die, and I'm saying these things now while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That's what Jesus wants. He said, I want, these disciples have no clue what's about to happen. They don't even know what they're about to deal with. Man, give them another 50 days. Watch persecution break out. Watch miracles start happening like they never imagined and, and the church explodes by 3,000 people in one afternoon. They have no idea what's gonna happen, but God, I'm talking about the mission and I'm praying these things out loud because I want them to have the joy that I have. I want the people to have the joy that can endure the cross and scorn its shame. That's what Jesus is praying about. And I just wonder if there's anybody in the 10 a.m. service that's missing joy today. I wonder if there's anybody here that, that lacks joy. And maybe, let me just propose to you that maybe you're missing joy because you're missing mission. Have you ever... Have you ever talked to a, a group of people that just got back from a missions trip? Like there's not a more excited, energized, thrilled group of people you'll ever meet than a group of people that just come back from missions trip. 
I've done a lot of missions trips over the years, and, and it's, ama- it's amazing to watch what happens in the dynamic of people, even if it's you know five days, seven days, two weeks, a short-term missions trip, and they come back with this newfound just zeal about life because for the first time maybe in their whole lives, they, they, they lived, they breathed, they slept on mission every day was about the mission of God. And there, there's, a, there's an energy, there's a, a zeal and a charge that comes on a person that experiences that for the first time in their life. The apostle Paul got it. He understood, in fact, in Philippians chapter two, if you'll go there with me, I want you to see that Paul spoke about the joy of living a life on mission. And what's amazing about this is that he, he did it in the midst of being a prisoner. He's he's in prison, and he's writing to the church to encourage them. And he says in Philippians 2, verse 14, notice this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But he says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service that's coming from your faith, I'm glad about it. And I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now let me, let me just explain something that he just said because this is a powerful cultural image that he just kind of communicated and, and it usually goes over our heads if we don't understand the context. But a, a Roman or a, a Greek that was performing a, a, a worship, bringing offering to a pagan altar, uh, they, would, they would put a piece of meat on the altar, something that was valuable. It would be placed on the altar and the sacrifice would begin to burn. Now, the word that Paul uses, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, that word was a technical term for what happened next. As the offering is burning on the altar, they would take a ladle and they would take some wine and they would pour it on top of the sacrifice. Now, you can imagine the, the, the hot plate uh, of the altar is, is searing hot. And so as soon as the wine hits it, it just, it just becomes vapor. It just goes up in smoke and it disappears. And, and Paul says, my, that might be me. I, I mean, I, here I am, a prisoner in Rome. I don't know how long I'm gonna live. They might sacrifice me on a pagan altar. I don't really know how this is gonna go down. But here's what I want you to know. My life is not the most important thing. My life is, is the libation. My life is the, it's, it's, I mean, Solomon said your life is a vapor. And that's what Paul's saying. My life is just gonna be poured out, but what it's being poured out on is the purpose and the plan for which God put me on this earth. He was so consumed with building the church that he said, like, my life can just be poured out, but what matters is that it's poured out on your faith and your faith is gonna endure. And so I can take joy in the fact that I'm here today and I'm gone tomorrow and I want you to rejoice with me in that. Can I just be honest? There's lots of Christians that get excited about the idea of living on mission, doing something for the Lord, so long as it's noticed. Right? 
Like, let's go on a missions trip and take selfies with all the poor kids. Paul says, I, I, I don't care that, that, that I'm, being, I'm, being, I'm being poured out on the sacrifice. What really matters, the reason I'm here, he understood his purpose, to build the kingdom of God. He said, my sacrifice, it's just, it's like the steam that rises. And there's joy for me. And I want you to have joy. Why? Because joy is found in living on mission. Can I just encourage somebody today, if you're, if you're struggling to find joy, don't, don't look any further for someone or something. Look for somewhere to serve. Look for someone to serve. You wanna find satisfaction, the first key is surrender. To say, God, I, I'm yielded to a plan and a purpose that is far greater than me. And like Jesus, like Jesus, who for the joy before him endured the cross, God, I wanna find joy in my purpose. The second thing I want you to know today, this is the key if you're gonna live a satisfied life. The second word is sanctification. Sanctification, now I know that's, that's a big Bible word and not one that you probably used this week in conversation. And I'll be honest with you, when, when I'm studying the text, I, I kind of resisted going this direction because when we talk about mission, we don't usually think about sanctification. I mean, when we talk about living on mission, we might think about the homeless, but we don't think about holiness. Because our, our mentality is like mission is what we do for God out there in service. Sanctification is what God does in here in us. And so we wanna separate the two, but Jesus doesn't separate the two. In case you're unfamiliar with the term, let me just, just give you a working definition for a moment. Sanctification is the ongoing work of the spirit of Jesus inside you to perfect, to perfect you into his image. Uh, now, just quick poll, I wanna know how sanctified we are. Anybody uh, already perfect in Jesus in this service? Okay, pretty consistent with the last service. So how many of you understand then that the sanctification is a process that does not find its completion until we stand face to face with Jesus? So we're all, if you're saved, you're being sanctified. You're being perfected into the image of Jesus. When Christ comes to live inside your life and he takes up residence in your life, he improves the house. It's better when he moves in. That's when sanctification begins. There's a lot of people, they, they think they gotta fix everything up before Jesus comes in, but that's not the invitation. You just come as you are, receive Christ, and immediately he begins to change your life. Now, just right there in Philippians 2, I wanna show you something because, again, keep this in context. Paul is telling the church, you're supposed to shine like stars in the night sky, holding out, uh, holding firmly to the word of truth. That's what you're supposed to do. So how do you get to that place where your life is so on mission that a watching world, a dark world, looks at you as a shining star, holding firmly to the word of truth? Well, you gotta look in the previous verses from what we read a moment ago, back up to verse 12, Philippians 2, and Paul says this, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will 
and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, God is working salvation in you. You gotta work salvation out. God works salvation in me. He says, you gotta work your salvation out. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, he says, is gonna help you, not just to, to act in order to fulfill God's will, but it's, he, says, he says, it's God who works in you to will or to want to act according to God's will. Some of you are going, man, I, I'm trying to serve the Lord and I, I, just, I just need help doing it. And others, if you're honest, you'd be like, I'm not even trying. <laughs> like, I need, I need help to want to try to serve the Lord. That's my problem. I don't even want to serve the Lord. But he said, the Holy Spirit begins to work in you to will or to want to do. In other words, the Holy Spirit sanctifying you, he works on your actions and your attitude. He works on both your movement and your motives in your life. God is working salvation in while we work salvation out. You can't work for salvation, but once it's in you, you work it out. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that sanctification is a part of living on mission? It matters for the world's sake. Like you, hear this. You're the only Bible most people are gonna read. I mean, statistically, most Christians don't even read their Bible. So when you wanna talk about a mission to reach the lost, you're the only Jesus that they're gonna know. So sanctification matters because who are we communicating to them? Who are we showing them? Who are we reflecting to a watching world? How bright is that star shining in a dark night? That's why when Jesus prayed for his disciples, and this, this, is, this troubled me, I had to wrestle this to the ground, but Jesus did not separate sanctification from mission. He didn't look at it the way we often look at it, like, you know, mission is what we do for God out here and sanctification is, is the thing that God does in us in here. No, in fact, in verse 18 of his prayer, Jesus mentions mission twice. The, the Latin word for mission is missio. It means sent. And so twice in verse 18, he talks about mission. But right before and right after, he talks about sanctification, Look at it with me. Verse 17 says, and this is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That's mission. And then right after that, he says, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So, so right there, talking about the mission of God, he sandwiches it between two verses about being sanctified. Why? Because it's necessary. Because, because, because our life preaches a louder sermon than our words do. Throughout this whole prayer, Jesus emphasizes this one thought in many ways. And the thought is this, those that follow me live different. Like those that follow me are different. In, in verse six, he communicates that those that follow me have heard the word and believed it. Look at verse six in his prayer. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed 
your word. Can I just state the obvious, friends? Most people don't obey the word. Most people in our culture aren't taking their cues from scripture. They're not defining morality by God's word. But God, or Jesus says, the ones that follow me are different. They, they, hear, they obey your word. They're different. In verse eight, he says, those that follow me, they know, who, they know I came from the Father. Look at verse eight. He says, for I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them, and they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. There's lots of opinions out there about who Jesus is. Is he a good teacher? Is he a moral authority? Is he just a historical, influential figure? They, the people that are mine, he said, they know I came from the Father. They, they know who I am. I'm, I'm the Son of God. And he says in verse 14, those that follow me, they're not like the world. Verse 14 says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. In fact, right before he gets into the thing about sanctification, he doubles down on this thought again in verse 16. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So, so in, in praying that we would have the joy that he has in living on mission, that we would fulfill the assignment that God has for our life, in praying for that, Jesus makes it clear that those who those who follow me, those who serve me, they look and live different than the world. That's why three times in this prayer, in verse 11 and 12 and 15, he prays that God would protect them. He said, well, what do, they, what do they need to be protected for? He said, because they're gonna be hated. Well, why does he think they're gonna be hated? Because in just a couple of hours, he's gonna be nailed to a cross. He knows where this is going. I, I just want to say today, I, I'm not trying to be hated by the world. I, I don't want to be hated by the world. That's not the message. Hey, we're, we're supposed to be hated. No, some of you, you're hated by the world because you're hateful. Like, that's, that's it. That's just sowing and reaping. I don't want to be hated. I want to love the world with the love of Jesus. How about you? I mean, I want, I want to love this world. But let's not just, let's just go ahead and embrace reality because it's gonna help us to move forward in Christendom when we just come to the, to, to, to the reality that no matter what you do, if, if you're different from this world, for the gospel's sake, there are people that are gonna hate you. And I just wonder how many people today in the church have lost joy and they struggle for satisfaction because they're chasing after the approval of people. So we got one foot in the world looking for man's approval. We got one foot in the kingdom looking for God's approval. And you're, you're straddling that fence. And I want to please God, but you know I want people to like me too. And listen, I, I want people to like me too. But I'm not going to make the purpose of my life satisfying people who have no desire in honoring the one I was created to satisfy the most. So, so Jesus says they're, they're different. They're different, and there's an abiding joy that they have in the mission. And if you want to find true satisfaction, it's not found in satisfying everyone else. So your satisfaction, your satisfaction is connected to your sanctification. 
Just consider that for a moment. Your satisfaction is connected to your sanctification. And, and let me just say, church, the, the best version of you, best version of me, is the one that looks the most like Christ. Like that, that's full stop, that's it. The best version of your life, the most satisfying, fulfilling version of your life is the one that looks the most like Christ. And if you look like Christ, you're always going to bring disapproval to those who reject him. That's not 2023 revelation, by the way. Jesus said that. In his inaugural message, like the first sermon, Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And by the way, that because of me is really important. Because again, Jesus isn't saying you're blessed if people say bad things about you. Like some of us, we just deserve to have some bad things said. It's like the, the person that's got the Jesus fish on their car and they never use a turn signal and they cut people off and they drive in the wrong lane and then, and then people honk at them and, you know, and, and, and say nice things in sign language when they drive by and, and they're like, oh, it's probably because I've got, I'm a Christian. No, it's not, you're a terrible driver. Right? Like, but Jesus says, if, if you're insulted because of me, because of your stand for righteousness, because you live differently, because you honor God, because you believe that I came from the Father, if you're persecuted and people say false things against you because of me, well, you're blessed. And then he says this in the next verse, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here, here's the deal. When we talk about living on mission, our minds go to mission. Jesus' mind goes to living. Living on mission. That's serving for a couple hours at, at a shelter or a food pantry or, or being on a team on a weekend at church or, or being a part of a fall fest. It's living, living a sanctified life. I, Acts chapter four, verse 13. I, I love this picture of the New Testament church. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men and they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Like, that's living on mission. That when people come around you, they take note, you've been with Jesus. Like, do people notice you've been with Jesus? Um, earlier this year, many of you know uh, the story, Ben and Kelly Shaw, Ben's on the front row here. Hope you don't mind me saying this, friend, but uh, they lost their house in a tragic fire right right before Christmas of this last year. Many of you know that story. and um, it, I mean, it was, it was a miracle. God rescued them. I mean, uh, rescued them. The dog woke Kelly up in the middle of the night. The whole family got out. House was destroyed. That's, that's a miracle of salvation right there. But I, I'm excited about the rest of the story. Uh, 
because Ben's been showing me pictures. And in, in just a few weeks, they're going to be moving back onto their property. The house is rebuilt. It's beautiful. Like, that's a story of restoration. Like, aren't you glad that, that Jesus doesn't, like, drag you out of the, the fires of hell and then just, like, leave you on the sidewalk? smelling like a charred stick. Like, aren't you glad that, that when he saves you, his spirit comes to live inside you and he begins to re- renovate and redeem your life and, and, and make you something beautiful again, a reflection of who he is, that, that your life can shine like a star in the universe? Like, that's the work that he's doing. And if you want to be satisfied in this life, it begins with surrender. And you can have the joy of knowing that that my life, it's a vapor, but what it's being poured out on is something of substance. Like, I'm going to give my life to build the local church. And and decades from now, when I'm long gone, should the Lord tarry, I still believe there's going to be a powerful Pentecostal church right here that's absolutely changing the Susquehanna Valley for the glory of God. I'll gladly go up and smoke for that. I, I, will, I will gladly be poured out for that purpose. There's joy in that. It begins with total surrender. It grows in sanctification. When we become more like Jesus and uh, we're gonna we're gonna close in just a moment here and pray. But let me tell you what the third key is to satisfaction: it, it's service, service. And, and the reason I want to just mention service is because I want to make sure that that you've got some handles to hold on to here. Because honestly, it's so easy. I mean, you can hear a message. We can talk about surrender, and I mean, what is that? Do, are we gonna sing? I surrender all. Is surrender lifting my hands? Is it you know? Is it filling out a, a uh, an I accepted Jesus box on a card. We could talk about sanctification and, and that's like an, an invisible, oftentimes inner thing that it just feels ethereal. And, and I, I wanna give you some handles to hold on to. If you wanna live this thing out, you gotta do what Jesus did. At the end of this incredible prayer about mission, at some point he said amen. And then he went and he picked up a cross and he fulfilled the mission. He did the thing that God put him on the earth to do. And at some point, we have to flesh this thing out in our own lives, in service. Jesus said, we read it a moment ago in verse 18, Father, as as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Oftentimes in our church, we, we say service is not something we want from you. It's something we want for you. And, and we mean that because we, we recognize that there's so much joy to be had in knowing that, that we're pouring ourselves out our time, pouring our talent out, pouring our, our resources out, investing in something that is substantive and something that's going to outlast us. You want to serve? You want to find satisfaction in life? Serve a cause that's bigger than your life, something worth being poured out on. So I just want to encourage you. And some of you, you, you don't need this. Like, you get it. You've been doing this for a long time. But even with the, the outreach we're doing this Tuesday, I'm, I'm reminded again that, like, 
There's several people that maybe you're like, I, I, don't, I need a next. I don't know what to do next. I, I just want to give you a, a couple of things you can do practically to serve, even right here. This Tuesday night, you saw the card that, that was sitting on the seats when you came in. Uh, we're going to, we got a couple thousand of these cards. We're going to give these out to everybody uh, that comes to our fall fest on Tuesday night. At Christmas Eve, we're gonna, we're gonna cast a net of salvation far and wide to this community. And we would love to have you help us do that. You can, you can sign up, you can get on the Church Center app or go to the Info Center and ask somebody to help you. Click on upcoming events. All these events that are there, just say, you know what, I'll, I'll do something, I'll serve. I'll, I'll serve coffee, I'll be an usher, I'll be a greeter, I'll, I'll serve somewhere in one of those services this Tuesday night. Maybe you didn't sign up to be a part of the Fall Fest. You can, you can still do that. Sign up today. We'll give you a job. This Tuesday night, we're gonna just love this community. We're gonna love them into the kingdom of God. We're gonna build bridges to reach people. You know, there, there's some people in this church who go, those days, those days are gone for me. I can't, I can't be outside for two and a half hours on Tuesday night. I, I served for years. You can pray. You can pray. If you've got breath in your lungs, you've got a purpose in the kingdom of God. You can give. Did you know that one of the, one of the gifts of the Spirit is generosity? There are some people, you're never going to hold a mic, you're never going to sing a song or play an instrument, but God has blessed you with the ability to make money. And you can say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be about the kingdom of God. And if I'm just honest with you, let me just, let me just say, if you're, if you're not investing, whatever your job is, whatever your talent is, whatever your gift is, if you're not investing financially in the kingdom of God, you're not investing in the kingdom of God. This year, we, we made a, we set a goal. $80,000, that was our Kingdom Builders goal. Kingdom Builders is, uh, it's that category of finances that we designate towards taking the gospel locally and globally and future expansion of the kingdom. Uh, those funds are all called Kingdom Builders for us. And uh, I, I just looked at the update this week. We're just over $60,000, which is incredible. We're only $20,000 away from reaching our, our goal for kingdom builders. I'm just trying to give you some handles. I don't, I don't want you to walk out of here and go, well, that was kind of encouraging. Like, no, 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 take, take a step. Live on mission. But know, know this, when we talk about living on mission, Jesus is talking about the living more than just the event. So I want to pray for you today. I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would, all over this room. Our altar team is going to come and find their places to stand if our, if our prayer team could begin to move in the front of the room here and, and in the front of that middle section. I'm asking them to get in place today. I'm about to pray a prayer, just a general prayer over all of us, asking the Lord to just impart His Word deep in our hearts. But if you're here today and... and and you say, I, I need prayer. Maybe it has to do with this sermon that you just heard. Maybe it has nothing to do with that, but you're in God's house today. You're with God's people. And you would say, I, I could use some prayer.
I'm gonna invite you to just step out from where you are and find one of these prayer partners. Let them encourage you. Let them pray over you. Uh, The way that Jesus purposely prayed in front of his disciples, he said, I'm saying this now for their benefit. Allow somebody else to pray in your presence for your benefit today. If you need prayer, you can begin to move even now as I pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I, I pray that you would lead all of us to a place of greater surrender. Lord, that we would not chase after the, the fleeting happiness of this world, but that, God, we would give ourselves fully and faithfully to a greater cause. That like the Apostle Paul, we could say, e- even if my life is poured out like a vapor, even if it just goes up, it was worth it, and I can do it with joy because I was invested in a God-given purpose. God, I pray today that we would all lean into a heart of surrender. And God, would you begin to do a deeper work of sanctification in us? God, may we not be afraid of what that looks like. Lord, you want to make us more like Jesus. You want to lead us from the plan of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. And you want to lead us towards the plan of Jesus to give us a life to the fullest. So God, I pray that we would have a heart that is yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be like John the Baptist. When he realized who Jesus really was, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he said, now I must decrease so that he may increase. God, would you give us that heart today that says, Jesus, let there be less of me and more of you. Decrease me, Lord, so that Christ in me might increase, so that my life would shine like a star in the night sky as I hold firmly to the word of God. And Lord, I I pray that, that we would leave here today and that the word would not just that the seed of the word would not just die in this place, but Lord God, let it produce in us service. Let it produce in us expressions, actions, sacrifice. Lord, let this word manifest in our lives in ways that expand your kingdom, that touch people in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We receive your word today with gratitude and with faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, if you're thankful for God's word, let's let him know.